0: Him again, to everyone's a critic. I'm Joe Stevens. I'm Samuel Hunt. And yeah, so this is our, our fifth or sixth episode. I've lost count, mate. Yeah, we just we're just veterans by this time. We're enjoying it so much. Yeah, no, and thank you for the continued fan mail and all the correspondence. Um, and you know, you may have noticed that we've we've kind of revamped our social media a bit. So feel free to send uh, any comments or questions or, or tweets. Or, or tweets. We're or, active on Twitter now. Yeah, you know. Our Facebook or our Twitter, and um, we've actually got a new member of
1: the team joining us. Uh,
0: yeah, Kyle K- Ross, yeah, yeah, very happy to. You may have heard him, um, on one of our earlier shows. We he brought the guest, yeah, to review,
1: um, and uh, he did a pretty good job he of did, talking yeah. about it. And yeah, uh, entertaining. but he's now a marketing marketing manager, I guess that's what we call him, yeah, yeah, on commission. <laughs> <laughs> one P alike, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's not binding, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say. Steve, actually. Um, yeah, so, um, I what have, you, what have you been up to? Seen any good movies recently? Yeah, well,
0: to be honest, the movies that I've seen have just been what I'm going to review, mm-hmm. um, because those are actually three films. And you I have know, a life. And, and I do have a life, just about.
1: Well, I watched uh, Mississippi Grind last night. Um, oh, is that good? Yeah, it's really good. Ben Mendelsohn and Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Um, they two sort of road gamblers who who go on this road trip together, and it 's less about gambling and more about um the relationship between them. But you know when a buddy kind of movie works really well yeah. and there's real chemistry between the two actors, yeah. um they really they really get that in this film. And uh Ben Mendelssohn is just he's just fantastic. I really like Ben, ben Mendelssohn. He's brilliant. Yeah. You need to watch A uh, Place Beyond the Pines because he's fantastic. He's really that. good in that. He's, he's really like good in that. so does he do his go-to scumbag thing? Yeah, yeah. He, he, well, he he does, but it's he he has an amazing way of playing a scumbag who's kind of at the same time endearing. Place Beyond the Pines, he sort of walks with a limp and has it's just Really good. Yeah. Um, a bit Less so. He in looks in like a gambler. Yeah, in. Killing him He's just a scumbag. in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, but he manages to, to bring sort of two of uh, these scumbag characters that he plays, he manages to bring some, some life to them and yeah. uh, some real kind of uh, something that you can almost relate to in them. Um, so, yeah, no, really enjoyed that. I'd highly recommend that. That was 2015 release, I think. Nice. And you were saying you, you, we should become members of the Picture House?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know why I haven't done it before. I thought, you know, I won't go there that much. I've been there twice in the past week. Um, so the Picture House do this deal. Picturehouse Cinema, you get some crowd share. I think there's one in Hackney as well. They're all over the place. All yeah. over the place, yeah, they're growing. Um, and as a student, you can become a member for £15. Pounds, um, and you get two free tickets. Uh, and But also, you, after that, you get 10% off all your ticket purchases. And uh-huh. I think food and you get like a free like shot of Jameson whiskey or like mix with something so basically every film you go to we're
1: going we're not going to be sober for the next year worth of films no is that what you're no. saying
0: no and then if you become a normal adult member for i think 60 pounds but then you get four free tickets oh okay and same kind of thing and you get invites to kind of um, special previews and sometimes free screenings and stuff
1: Jeez. Well you plugged it pretty well there, mate. We I think we should get some sponsorship. Yeah, I was just for this. Kicking myself
0: next time. Well they do their own podcast, so uh, Do they? Yeah, unfortunately. I don't know why we just
1: bastards. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, carry
0: on listening to this one and not theirs.
1: Yeah, should we I I might actually give that a listen. And send them. See see what the uh, And send them send them ours, maybe they can pick up some tips or something. Yeah. See what the rival's about. But you know, you don't see what the rivals are about. Just stick with us. Ignorance is bliss. Okay, right, so what have we got coming up? We've got um, quite a collection, actually. We've got the grim new uh, Hungarian film, Son of Saul, which I'm reviewing. Yeah, nice Holocaust drama there for you. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and stark contrast, the big blockbuster of Yeah, on Friday
0: I saw Captain America Civil War.
1: Probably probably the biggest blockbuster of the year next to Superman versus Batman. And we'll
0: see how they compare critically.
1: Okay, we've got that comparison coming up. Apparently. Yeah, yeah okay. because
0: you will... As listeners and avid listeners who listen all the time, uh, you'll remember we did Batman vs. Superman Dodge uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, about a month ago, but a couple of episodes ago.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the biggest reference point for that film. Yeah. Okay, so more to come on that later. And we're also introducing a new genre, which is um, sequels. Do they improve on the first or the earlier films in the franchise? And the first one we're doing is Alien and Aliens.
0: Yeah, following Alien Day, which was Tuesday.
1: Down at the picture house. Yeah, yeah. but no,
0: across the across the world. Oh. Yeah. Why? Was that
1: celebration of the release of the first? Or? I will explain later. Okay. Right.
0: Keep Stay tuned. Keep, tuned st- st- on yeah, your keep, keep phone us on toes for to that. You're not actually tuned in with uh, any AM or FM radios. <laughs> anyway, I think that was the
1: intro. Yeah, that's probably the intro that oh, well, we, and Marmite movies. We've got a Marmite film coming up in the form of um Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid Love, yeah applicable the first two words are right more to come on that later so stay tuned coming up we've got captain america with joe civil war Bye bye.
0: welcome back to everyone's a critic so you have heard my intro the first one we're doing is captain america civil war Uh, So this is the latest Marvel film. Um, Biggest film of the week. Yeah, yeah, biggest film. Kind of, you know, after Batman vs Superman, biggest blockbuster of the year so far. Um, And that will be the obvious reference point for a lot of people. You know, DC have tried to make a kind of Marvel-type franchise, which has been hugely successful um, commercially. And, you know, surprisingly so, critically, you know, not many of them have been really panned, actually.
1: Apart from Batman vs Superman. No, but Marvel, the Marvel film. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, sorry you 'll have to forgive me i 'm not particularly literate in the comic oh the comic film whatever sense Jesus you know. Samuel. i know um, that 's why you went to see Captain America and not me because I just have no context no reference point for
0: it yeah and actually that's that's something i'll, I'll bring up as context and reference point hmm. um so that 's will be the main um kind of thing people compare it to, and everything i 've seen has been compared to it very favorably um and what I would say is kind of one of the biggest plus sides, and um, what makes it so much better than Batman vs. Superman, and you know, is kind of more of a fault of timing for them and you know, not planning things correctly, is there have been, and you know, you may not have seen them, Samuel, it may not be your thing, but you'll be aware that there have been a fucking bunch of Marvel films. It's um, there seems
1: to be a superhero movie every other week.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they they do, like, several a year. Um, and they've got the, the two Avengers films. There's mm. you know, three Iron Man films. There's, you know, before this, two Captain America films. Um, so what that means, though, is that you have a reference point for these characters, and for these specific characters played by these actors. Mm. Um, so, you know, okay, we've all seen... Superman and Batman incarnations, you know, we've both seen the Christopher Nolan trilogy um, of Batman films, but, you know, Ben Affleck's one is different. So when it comes to the conflict, the key conflict, between Captain America and Iron Man, it you know, it means something to you. Um, So just give you kind of a a brief sum of the plot, like um, Batman vs. Superman, there's an idea that actually, can superheroes just operate, you know, as they like and cause what is possibly net more destruction um, than they're actually helping out. Why are they causing more destruction? Um, well, because in, you know, in their effort to kind of catch bad guys, you know, you've seen the superiors they where... They yeah, so. go through a few ten-storey buildings. Yeah, go through a few ten-storey buildings. Oh, dear. And, you know, act unilaterally. Yeah, um, Outs- without, outside the law. Yeah, outside the law. Um, a bit less so... You know the the kind of idea of the Avengers is you know they're also kind of supported you know they're they're known yeah, as yeah. opposed to like Spider-Man, no one really knows who he is. Yeah, people know who Captain America is. People mm-hmm. know that um, Tony Stark is Iron Man. But you know they operate just you know past borders, don't tell people they're they're in there. Um, so you know semi disaster in Kenya um, prompts the idea that actually we should sign off some of the Avengers rights. Um, to this UN treaty, and we should only be able to act when the UN says we can, um, mm-hmm. because you know we can't just go around um, doing what we want anymore. You know we have to be somewhat accountable. Um, and I'll just roll you a little clip uh, from a, uh, some disagreements that are at the heart of the film when this is first proposed.
2: Tony, if someone dies on your watch. You don't give up. Who said we're giving up?
0: We are for not taking
2: responsibility for our actions. This document just shifts the blame. Sorry, Steve. That—that That is dangerously arrogant. This is the United Nations we're talking about. It's not the World Security Council. It's not S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not Hydra. No, but it's run by people with agendas, and agendas change. That's good. That's why I'm here. When I realized what my weapons were capable of in the wrong hands, I shut it down and stopped manufacturing. Tony, you chose to do that. If we sign this, we surrender our right to choose. But if this panel sends us somewhere, we don't think we should go. What if there's somewhere we need to go and they don't let us? We may not be perfect, but the safest hands are still our own. If we don't do this now, it's going to be done to us later.
0: So that was a uh, short clip from Captain America Civil War. Um, so Samuel asked quickly if Robert Downey Jr. plays Iron Man. Um, you know, Anyone who's seen a film in the past.
1: I don't understand. Why is Iron Man and Captain America in the same? Why are they in the same film? So the thing about, have you have you not seen any of these films at all? No. I mean, just a note to the... I'm not asking this for the purpose of you no, this is it. I Samuel genuinely doesn't know. don't know. So the thing
0: about Marvel, why people kind of buy into their whole... Um, Marvel's owned by Disney. Yeah. Um, whole kind of shtick and um, kind of get very, get very involved in it is all the characters are kind of in each other's movies, especially the Avengers when they all come together. Mm. Um, but one of the points I was going to make is this film isn't doesn't necessarily have to be called Captain America Civil War. Um, and so the these are actually the kind of basis of the civil war, kind of um, theme and plot is taken from a strand they had in Marvel Comics, kind of pre-Disney buying it, um, but around kind of two thousand and seven, I think. Um, so you see there the the conflict where Iron Man and a few superheroes say, actually we need to be kind of random or we need permission. People need. To consent to us doing these things, Captain America says, "Well, actually, the UN often does diddly squat, um, and if these disasters happen without us there, aren't we equally culpable?" Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, I think when they frame it that way, it's and I did, you know, part of my degree university was international relations. Um, It's actually an interesting way to frame it in terms of there's a debate between unilateralism and multilateralism. And if you rely on these kind of big organizations to do anything, nothing gets done at all. Hmm. Um, so you, you could see it as. So there's
1: a political point to be made as yeah, well. Yeah, a
0: political point to be made. And you can see there when they're chatting, there's, there's kind of a real conflict between the characters. The thing about Batman versus Superman is that, you know, Batman has this idea of Superman. He sees him in the sky, tear down these buildings, doesn't say a word to him, but has this deep hatred inside of him. Hmm. Um, Superman sees kind of Batman branding people, um, is like, okay, this guy's outside the law. And it's, it's like, oh, okay, maybe if they just talk to each other, they could all resolve it. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas this, they you have a relationship. And if you're likely to see this film, you're likely to have seen the others. And you have an idea that these characters have a relationship. Um, and this conflict is actually, you know, hurting them. Hmm. Um, it's not just kind of a, a miscommunication, a kind of French farce with superheroes beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. Um, so I I think that's... They did that well. Hmm. Um and so there's actually a dialogue between them, yeah. Yeah, yeah as opposed
1: um, to you feeling like if they just had a sit down and had a talk, it would all be. Yeah, I was
0: like, Oh my god, Bruce, I didn't know that's how you felt. <laughs> Club, <laughs> I didn't know albums had the same name and that could resolve the entire conflict of the film. God, um, we just saved
1: ourselves an hour and 25 yeah, minutes of Jesus, really bad stuff. That would have Zach saved Schneider us a whole film, yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> So so that's like an, another improvement on it. Um, and the other thing it, it does well is it introduces new characters and has this whole kind of ensemble feel without, like Batman vs Superman, literally playing a, a trailer for other films on a laptop. A like character's watching a laptop screen. is like, ooh, these other people have been discovered. And it's like CCTV footage. Really? You know, they introduce new characters and keep old characters. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about it... Is, and, you know, maybe this review is just comparing it to another film, but I think the, that's kind of how you have to see it. Yeah. yeah. Um, of, of why. I think, I don't know if it's Warner or Fox who kind of uh, own DC's intellectual rights, but maybe they seem like, oh, Disney made a bunch of money doing Marvel films, it must be really easy. Whereas actually, you know, before they start making these films, who the hell were Thor and Iron Man yeah, yeah. Like, to, to build a franchise on? Yeah, Everyone yeah. knows Batman and Superman. Um, I'd never heard of Thor until no. the, the film I don't think yeah no, exactly so it's actually what they've done is is pretty um, I think remarkable in terms of turning these kind of not particularly known characters into an industry mm. um, but there's humour as well and the Batman is very dark and everyone's brooding and Demo, there's a crisis and Superman's out of control. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the the humour comes in kind of more halfway through this, and it's genuine laughs. It's not like forced laughs, like sometimes with the Avengers films where kind of silly, cheesy one-liners,
1: like like James Bond kind of yeah yeah, yeah like exit James... lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think
0: there there are genuine laughs in this. Um, I have
1: heard that about it. I mean, I, I read a Time Out review and yeah. they said it was it was amazing how funny and you know coherent it was in terms of its political dialogue yeah. as well yeah you know? and it's saying something
0: i haven't seen the second captain america film but i think that's something similar in it right okay. as well
1: and i think the
0: marvel have a really good grip of that character in particular captain america um and that he can be seen as very simplistic just as kind of uh blonde-haired blue-eyed super soldier who fights for everything good but i think they've given him a bit of conflict and the fact that he doesn't he's He's the one who goes outside the law. Hmm. Um, it's Iron Man who wants to kind of toe the line. I think that that makes right, it interesting. Okay. I think it might be my favorite. I see this more as an Avengers film. I would see it less as a Cap- Captain America film. And I, if you think if you see it as that, it's my favorite one of the Avengers. Okay. Um, I, I I enjoyed it. Bit long, like most superhero films and most films really. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, I'd recommend it if you want to see like a good, good superhero film. Kind yeah. of, it's fun. It makes you think a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny you get to see and good fight scenes as well. Kind of more like handycam, um, semi-born filming, and they looks like kind of real impact.
1: Yeah, yeah. But,
0: um, not kind of silly.
1: I mean, I guess for me, like as being a not, you know, I don't see many of these films. My yeah. favourite superhero movie, modern, is probably uh, Spider-Man Two. I think that's, yeah. I think that's really good. Um, I just love the way in which you have that character who's conflicted and he's, you know, he's having to decide. What kind of person he wants to be, yeah. you know, and there's a possibility that he gives up the whole super theory thing altogether. Yeah. Um, I thought that was done really well. I'm less interested in the sort of massive um, big blockbuster ones with the ensemble casts where it just seems to be a lot of flash and mm. perhaps not much depth. Mm. But, you know, having heard your review of this, perhaps, you know, perhaps I should give these kind of films a try.
0: Yeah, and it's, you know, especially with these kind of films, it's good to see them in the cinema on the big screen. Yeah, you know. no, definitely. We were, because we booked late, we were kind of literally two rows back. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just go to the cinema people as well. It's, it's a totally it's different experience. And I will explain more about why the cinema is great um, later when we do Alien and Aliens.
1: Fantastic. Okay, looking forward to that. Well, thanks for that, Joe. That was right. Captain America Civil War. Coming yeah. up, my review of Son of Saul Change in Tone. Coming. <laughs> <It's> serious. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Everyone's Critic. Thanks for that review of Captain America, Joe. That's absolutely fine. Change of tone coming with a new Hungarian production by Laszlo Nemes, directed by Laszlo Nemes. It's a Hungarian film, Son of Saul. You may have seen the posters or you may have seen the trailers when you're in the cinema. Um, Extremely harrowing, gritty take on the Holocaust. For once. For yeah, for Normally once, of yeah, sunshine and rainbows, as opposed to all those optimistic films that have been made about it. Um, yeah. So basically, I, I wasn't, I didn't want to, I didn't particularly want to go and watch this um, because I, I'm not one of these people that goes and sees films because I feel like I should see them or something mm. like that. Do you know what I mean? Duty. I, yeah, exactly. I don't feel a duty to see certain films for particular reasons, but for the purpose of the podcast. Um, I thought this would be a particularly good one to go and watch, and also it's it's had huge critical acclaim. Um, mm-hmm. It actually won the Academy Award for best foreign language film um, at this year's Oscars. So I thought, you know, I, I felt like I should, for the duty of the podcast, really, rather than a duty to, you know, go and witness. Yeah. Um, so I went to the Everyman in Muswell Hill, and I ha- I went downstairs actually to one of the screening stands. Those are better. Oh my god, the seats are amazing. Yeah,
0: and the screens. Were, they're just better. They're better screens.
1: I know, but you get like a whole sofa. Yeah. and tables. I got ushered to my seat. Oh, lovely. Yeah, and I bought like a Kinder Bueno in Sainsbury's, and I took it into the screening. Um, so it was all like another uh, magical time. Yeah. <laughs> So I was sitting there watching these trailers for other movies come up. Like, there's this new film coming out with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, which looks really funny. Yeah, I saw. Did that. you see a trailer yeah, for that? Yeah. Looks really funny. And I was like, God, I really wish I could watch one of those movies now. And then *Son of Saul* started, and I thought, well, you know, I'm here now, and I'm going to, I, you know, I'm going to pay attention, mm-hmm. and I'm going to, you know, take take on board, soak it all in what I'm seeing. Yeah, what I'm seeing in front of me, and you know. Um, so the story is Saul is a Jewish uh prisoner basically yeah. in in Auschwitz and he he's part of the Sonderkommando who are a group of about 30 Jewish guys um and there there's loads of them there's like five or six Sonderkommandos, and there's there's about 30 in each um and their job is to clean up after um the gas chambers have done their job, their job is to go in, dispose of all the bodies, yeah. like wipe all the walls down, make ready for the next batch of people coming in basically and every three months, all the Sonderkommandos, commandos, all the guys in there are shot, and uh, they take on new ones because they don't want they don't want it to get out what they 're mm-hmm. actually doing at the gas um, at the concentration camps so they basically just living day to day through these absolute horrors I mean some of them are having to dispose of the bodies of loved ones that have come with them Mm. do you know what I mean because Mm. they've been separated they're they're separated because they're fit and healthy you Mm. know and they're able to carry out the tasks um so it pays extremely close attention and to the detail of the it takes place just over a day and a half um So the camera just basically follows Saul around going through these different uh, ritual tasks, which he performs with a look of just complete, um, almost indifference, because he's just... Just vacant? Yeah, just completely vacant. I mean, obviously it's not indifference, but you can tell that the only way he can do these is just by pretending... You know, do these tasks is almost like pretending he's not doing them. Do you know what I mean? And just just carrying them out and going through the motions, almost like there's nothing, there's no soul left in him. You know, And you can imagine in a place like that that it is very hard to retain any sort of humanity. And the film does a really good job of of, of having that character in that and carrying out those roles um, and just making it look like he is going through the motions, you know. And what happens is... At the start, star a batch of um Jewish people come in and they're all killed and then um there's this one boy who sort of survives like the mm. gas chamber like he's he's breathing really badly um and the doctor comes along and kills him um because you know he's obviously they're all supposed to be killed anyway yeah. um and then Saul becomes determined to bury this boy um with. The proper Jewish traditions, yeah. so he needs to find a rabbi to assist him in the burial process. So the film is really about his attempt to find some sort of humanity and find some sort of almost a redemption, yeah. you know, amid the just complete horror of the situation that he's in, and he becomes completely single-mindedly focused on finding a rabbi. Over his survival, over the survival of his friends, who, yeah. who are all trying to escape or revolt, you know, even though he's complicit within that because he, he's trying to escape and revolt mm-hmm. as well, his attention um, diverts to to this task. I'm going to play a clip now, which is not particularly—it's foreign language. It's mm-hmm. in um, it's in well, it's in um, some German, some Belgian, uh, some Hungarian. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to play a clip now, which is. There's not really any dialogue in it, but it gives an idea of um, the, the sound of the film. Mm. And um, what's happened is because the gas chambers are full, they're just taking people out to the pits and shooting them. And this is uh, the sound of the sort of chaos surrounding that. So here it is. <laughs> Yeah, so that was was just a little clip, Um, and I wanted to play that clip because I think the sound of the film is extremely important Mm. in that um, there's not really that much music to it, I mean there's not really much of a soundtrack, Mm. Um, but the way the sound is used is that there's there's always some sort of, in the the scenes where there's other people involved and there's always kind of, in the background you have this kind of humming of voices and Mm. scared voices... Um, and shouting and it, it kind of it gives a very good idea of the chaos and the darkness that is, is happening all around Saul, you know, mm. while at the same time, the camera is focusing very much on his perspective, you, you don't get wide sweeping shots of what's going on. It's, mm. it's, it's almost like, you know, like a first person shooter. It's a bit like that. It's like following where his vision is going because he's so So single-mindedly set on this task.
0: And it's very empathetic with Saul, then. You're completely within his experience.
1: Yes, almost exclusively the film just follows things from his perspective. Um, And and the other thing is when um, you don't see a huge amount of... Um, like terrible things happening, like you never actually see despite the gas chamber aspect of it, you never actually see inside while any, while the you know while people are being killed mm-hmm. what you what you do see is the sonder commando waiting outside for them you know for everything to be finished and for them to go inside to have to clean up and yeah. what you hear is the sound of what 's happening inside, and in that is in a way that 's so much worse because only it 's almost it, it's something so grotesque that you can't even get your head around it, do you know yeah. what I mean um because you can't see it and because you're you're having to visualize it's the it the unknown the fear of the unknown, it, it, the of the unknown and it, yeah. it it does that extremely well, and I think it's almost also saying what what we're trying to portray here is almost un. Unfilmable. Yeah, do you know what and I mean? Unthinkable. Like, like, uh, exactly. Uh, so leave this to your imaginations because you know that's where. It because that's be. exactly because yeah. it shouldn't be you know anywhere beyond that. This should not have been a reality in a yeah. way. The film's very good at, at not um, and not making that reality. You know the way the way the filmography plays out. Um, so I thought it was. I thought it was extremely efficient and well put together and considerately put together mm. without being twee or mm. y- you know sensitive yeah it's sensitively put together but also you know you know it's really grim yeah but it, it's not um it it doesn't indulge in that grimness yeah. do you know what i mean and yeah, it also, it's the reality not like look the, how
0: awful this is
1: yeah exactly yeah it's not trying to impart any it's not kind of impart any sort of knowledge or wisdom mm. to you and and the characters never talk about, they never talk about the wider picture or anything. You know, they're never talking about, um, they never talk about how horrible everything is. They never talk about anything like that. All they're focused on is the need to survive and the need to get out from the situation mm-hmm. that they're in. And you can imagine that if you were in, you know, that situation, all those kind of high for concepts that you mm-hmm. might associate um, with something happening on such a grand scale, would abandon you and you would be reduced to literally just relying survival, on your just, on your yeah. survival instinct. Yeah. And also your instinct to shut out everything else, because as soon as you start talking about that kind of stuff, it makes it more real for it dawns you. Dawns on you. Exactly, the, yeah. of, of what's going on. Um, and as I said, you have, amid the chaos, this central character, this constant character of Saul, who is hell-bent on... On providing a proper burial mm. for this boy, who—sorry—I uh, should have mentioned—it's called Son of Saul because he takes him as his son. He—he yeah. he says he's his son. I mean, yeah. he's not. He's—he's he's dead by the time Saul even really sees him for the yeah. first time. Um, but it's a man's attempt to um, to to provide s- some redemption, and some humanity mm. in in the horrible situation that he's in. And I wouldn't say that I wouldn't I mean say I enjoyed the film mm. I, I don't know it's a weird it's a weird one uh, you know I haven't you really seen should, that many films like that I did enjoy could, watching it you could appreciate it. it yeah I could appreciate it I mean I did I enjoyed the filmmaking you know and I, I now I'm enjoying talking about mm. it as a film I think watching it is experience, an experience which I would not describe as enjoyment mm. but it's it was certainly yeah do you feel it's worthwhile yeah no definitely and I would uh, Again, I mean, would I recommend it? I I wouldn't recommend going and seeing it on a first date, you know. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) I mean, I saw it on my own, you know. um, And in a way, I think on your own is quite a good way to see it because then you can kind of make it, you can kind of do it the justice it deserves. You can sit there afterwards Mm. and think about what you've just Mm. seen. You can go home and, you know, rather than, I think, if you you know, you certainly wouldn't want to go and see it and then go for a couple of beers afterwards Mm. or something like that, you know. I really think this is something that you know you need to go and see respectfully, and you know on your own is quite a good way to see it. So, yeah, I, I would recommend it with caution. Yeah. In that you know exactly what you're going to get with it. Um, yeah. But what you're going to get, it does extremely well. Lovely. All right. Well, thanks for that, Samuel. Pleasure.
0: Sensitively done. Thank you very I much. The film. Coming up, we have.
1: Crazy Stupid Love. <laughs> I think they should have marketed it like that. Yeah. <laughs> What's said in that voice? Yeah, I yeah. quite like that actually. Yeah, Crazy Stupid Love, which is our Marmite film. Uh, who's going to be on which side? Stay tuned.
0: How do you like your toast with Marmite? Um, nice one. So this is this is more my movies. If you haven't heard the uh, show before, it's a part of the show where Samuel and I pick a film that you know, either he likes and I don't, or I like and he doesn't. Uh, we've done Twilight Eclipse,
1: which I liked. I, I love that film, and
0: I really, really don't. Um, I'm trying to remember the other ones that we've done. Well,
1: there you are Team Jacob.
0: No, but we are, that's what unifies us, actually, that we are both Team Jacob. Yes,
1: Um, and we did uh, Knocked Up. Of course, yeah, which which I I really like. And I don't. So, now we bring you...
0: Crazy Stupid Love! Said exactly like that. Yeah, and I'm the one who
1: likes the film as well. (laughs) That's why, yeah, saying it with irony. Yeah. Okay, Um, do you want to try and give a brief description of... What it's about. Okay, so
0: one of Samuel's issues with the film is he thinks the plot is incoherent, which I think, you know, is slightly. So it opens with uh, Cal, who is played by Steve Carell, um, and his wife lets him know that she's been having an affair. Um, Doesn't take this particularly well, so he moves out um, and he finds himself in these bars at night, um, you know, filled with an improbable amount of attractive women. Um, I, exactly. Yeah. Sorry,
1: show me, I mean, I want to go to this bar. Where, show me a bar in London where there's that many attractive women. Like, all of them.
0: All of them in one place.
1: Yeah. Doesn't exist. Well, no, so listen, already, already.
0: Listeners, if you, if you know of these places, let us know. Please. Yeah. it in. If <laughs> yeah. anyone knows out. a
1: bar that looks like the one in Crazy Stupid Love, we want to hear about it. Um, So he finds himself in these
0: bars telling these stories about David Lindhagen's having an affair with my wife. Uh, Ryan Gosling, um, you know, he noticed Ryan Gosling, who is this guy in his 20s, who, um,
1: you know, very smooth talking. Fresh off the set of Drive, you know, he's looking good. (laughs) Yeah. Bit of a dapper Dan.
0: Yeah, very different to his character in Drive. Um, So, you know, also Ryan Gosling notices him, says, you know, I'll take you under my wing. Um, Here's a clip.
2: My wife is having an affair with David... David Lindhagen. Lynn- David Lindhagen, I know. How do I know that? I don't know. I'm a total stranger. How would I know something so intimate about your wife? Do you want to know why I know that, Cal? <coughs> okay. Because it's all that I've heard, Cal, for the past two nights. It's all anybody's heard. You're going around and you're like... You're like badgering people with this sad sack, loser sob story, and I don't understand why. No, I don't need this crap. Cal, sit down. All right. I know that sounds harsh, but it's true, and you need to hear the truth. So, permission to speak candidly, sir? Uh, I think you've already gone there. You're sitting there with a the Supercuts haircut, you're getting drunk on watered-down vodka cranberries like a 14-year-old girl, and you're wearing a 44 when you should be wearing a 42 regular. Honestly, I don't know if I should help you or I should euthanize you. Cal, you got a kind face. You got a good head of hair. You seem like a nice guy. I want to help you. I'm going to help you rediscover your manhood.
0: So, that was a clip where Ryan Gosling decides to take Steve Carell under his wing. They go for a little shopping montage. Um, so, that's one plot line there, a few other kind of strands going along as well, kind of parallel. And who knows, maybe they'll just join up at the end. Can I just
1: say, the film is supposed to be life affirming, sort of love affirming film. And for the first half hour to 45 minutes, you just get this. Misogynist sequence where, sorry, misogynistic sequence where Ryan Gosling's basically saying, you know, Steve, Kruss, Steve Cross has come out of a relationship that's been what 20, 25 years. He's yeah. moaning about it for about four or five days. And suddenly Ryan is just saying, oh, no, you know, sorry, that's too long, you know, stop lamenting, as though it was like a relationship that he'd had for about three weeks with his high school sweetheart, do you know what I mean? And suddenly he's supposed to just snap out of it and start wearing... Well, again, this is what makes real men, apparently. Uh, start wearing really nice suits, um, you know, buy expensive wallets and walk in looking like an absolute prick to these completely unrealistic bars in the middle of nowhere. It, you know, it, the whole plot is just... That part is just absolutely ridiculous. Well, and for a film that's supposed to be family-friendly, life-affirming, what kind of a message is that sending out? I know, Yeah, it, as it goes on, it turns out that, you but know... Something, Ryan Gosling is the one with you're
0: criticising the first half of the film. Sure, <laughs> if the film is just that, then, yeah. And actually, what the what the film... the it was one of your favourite films... Ever yes,
1: Roger Dodger, Roger Dodger. Uh, there's a there's definitely a co- there's a lot of similarities between Roger and Ryan. Yeah, okay. So this is what I was going to say about Roger Dodger. I've got it written down here. Um, the film has pickup lines that it wants to sound like Roger Dodger, but it really just sounds like I don't know, simple pickup with A levels. I mean, let me read you a pickup line. Simple pickup with A levels. Is that a, a book you've read? No, <laughs> I just made that up. So Ryan Gosling. We live in a physical world, and you're going to age, right? I guarantee you this. You're never going to regret going home with that guy from the bar that one time was a total tomcat in the sack. Okay, that does sound <laughs> like... I mean, Roger come Moore. on. Then... But it sounds like, exactly, exactly, it sounds like cheap James Bond pickup. I mean, it wants to be Roger Dodger okay. with his pickup, and he- it's not. Roger Dodger is so much more acidic, so much more... Um, you know Roger's character is so much more poisonous than that but Roger Dodger is a film about that that's what Roger Dodger is about and it doesn't end the film by so, with a happy ending you know and it doesn't no one gets redeemed at the end of the film that's, well, what, they're, that's they're, why it's such a great right. film it's a study in that this has a first half which says look okay. this is what real men are about and the fact this is what reinforces it is because Steve Carell you know what happens he puts on the nice suit he buys the nice wallet and then he goes and gets laid Well, Samuel, you're criticizing the
0: first half of the film. I I, I can criticize the second half if you want. Okay, (laughs) let's deal with this first part. That yeah, you know, he gets the the suit that fits his frame better. He gets nice shoes. Gets his hair cut again. Picks up a few lines. Stops drinking vodka vodka cranberries with a um, silly little straw and starts drinking whiskey instead. Mm -hmm. And you know, for a bit, you know, that maybe makes him a real man or whatever. But it's about well, does that make him a real man at all? Mm. Um, so I think, you know, if, if that was the whole film and it didn't question that idea at all, um, then, yeah, it, it would be stupid and it wouldn't be family-friendly at all. No. You're missing the whole second half and particularly, like, the last quarter or third or so. Um, also, you reading those lines that you've written down is very different to Ryan Gosling reading them. Maybe pick the pick-up lines are... Oh, afraid, excuse me, but you're saying I can't deliver a line like Ryan? But you know, I give him a run for his money. And I think you know, one of the criticisms that could be made is the the actors pull off you know the script better than it's given to them. They you know they they work well with what's given to them. Um, but I, I
1: I think I think Steve Carell carries it. I think you know you go along with his no. journey. No, I disagree all. with that. The thing about Steve Carell is I think Steve Carell is the kind of actor who needs to be in a role. Like the role he played in The Way Way Back where he played a really creepy stepdad who was just completely odious. Or in Foxcatcher where you really really didn't know which way he was going to go and you were trying to suss his character out. Because I think as an actor he has that slight edge to him. And to have him in a family-friendly movie where he's playing a straight-down-the-lie regular guy, but I don't believe in him to that extent, like, as that character. So you don't see him as an everyman, as a dad? No, just, I don't. No? I think he plays... I think he's best. I'm not saying, you know, he's he's all right in this. He's fine. But I'm saying I think he's best. I thought he was terrific in The Way Way Back. It's like yeah. with Adam Sandler. It's like Adam Sandler... I can't stand him in any films. But what Mark Commode said about Punch Drunk Love, mm. which is what he really liked about it, he said it took that creepy quality that Adam Sandler has. And you have to admit, he does have a slight, you know, yeah. he's weird, and that's partly why in his films where he's being so genuine, it just creeps you out. Yeah. You know, and makes, you know, the message gets lost and it's just awful. Whereas in Punch Drunk Love, he had this kind of sinister, creepy side to him, and the film played on that. And I think that's where Steve Carell works best. I I just don't particularly like him in this just straight down the middle sort of family friendly, you know, crowd pleaser, because I don't think it plays to his strengths. Well, I think this kind of I think what Steve Carell's become
0: is very different to what he started. And what would you have said before you seen Foxcatcher that you know
1: you just didn't believe many in any of his kind of anchor man or this type of role either? I mean. I, to be honest, I didn't, really think, I didn't really think of him as an actor that I even liked at all before I saw The Way Way Back or Foxcatcher okay. where I really liked those performances. Well, I, I didn't, I didn't th- dislike him. No, I mean, I think he's fine. Yeah. But, you know, I, I never saw one of his performances. I thought those performances were really good. Mm. I never watched a previous film and said, well, I thought Steve Carell was really good in that. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, and so you, know, you criticised the,
0: the first half of the film as sending this message, which it then, you know, so he takes apart in the second half. I mean, I guess I don't have a problem...
1: I don't it, have a problem... It is, I is it your, like message. Is I think the thing with, that with the message... Sage. It's not really even the message, because I don't... I think the problem with it is, is that this is a film... This is, this is my problem with it, okay? This is a film that undoubtedly has a message. I mean, it's a film that's trying to have a message. Crazy Stupid Love, at the end, you know, th- th- he makes this big speech about how love is redeeming and everything. The pro- so the problem I have with it, in a, in a film like that... To have such a sort of an elongated sequence where Ryan Gosling is, you know, imparting this pickup wisdom to Steve Carell, and then Steve Carell goes out and uses it and it works, and then for the in the later part of the film, sort of uh, further to the plot, the Steve Carell's daughter starts dating Ryan Gosling, but then he can't. You don't know it's his daughter as well. He doesn't know it's his daughter, and when he finds out, he condemns the relationship because he knows. Daughter as well as as the audience. You don't know until the end, so nobody knows until the end. But 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 he then condemns the relationship with Ryan Gosling because he knows what Ryan Gosling used to be like, despite despite the fact that he as a father then went to Ryan Gosling in the first place, asking him to teach him how to pick up women. So he's condemning him for doing exactly the thing that he went to him to get information for. It just doesn't really add up in my head. No, but it's not supposed to add up. It's not not supposed to be like,
0: okay, that makes total sense. You're a really rational person, Steve Carell. But then
1: Ryan Gosling's like, "Oh, I'm really glad that you condemned the relationship. I think you're a great father because I think I'm a prick and I don't think she should be going out with me. I I think that (laughs)
0: makes sense though. Uh, no, I, I don't think that you're supposed to see these people like, okay, that's, that's a logical and rational thing to do. Steve Carell, you should separate your ideas of fatherhood for your da- with your daughter from your activities with other young women. It should make him be like, oh, actually, wait, Steve, and as the audience as he does, why, why don't you reflect on how you treat these young women and how your daughter might be treated
1: by the same hmm. types of guys? but i think for a film that is going to try and send out the message that love is all conquering and that love you know should be something that's trusted in i think it should be coherent to the end and i think that the film i think the way they put the film together it looks like they had these ideas they had these themes and ideas like they had this idea of you know the, the misogynistic guy who Who's going to teach Steve Carell? You know, but really he's vacuous inside. And they had this idea of um, you know Steve Carell as being a bit of a loser who then learns, who who kind of had faith in love at the beginning, then falls out of love with the idea of love and becomes this almost like the Ryan Gosling character, and then falls back into it. And I think it has those ideas, and I, I don't have a problem with those ideas. I just think it doesn't. It's not fluid in the way it connects them, and it's not fluid in the way it puts them together. So that when you reach that conclusion and that kind of speech that's supposed to be rousing but quite honestly just made me feel a bit ill and, you know, had me reaching for the sick bucket. Um, You know, I just feel like that's why I didn't really like that speech at the end because it just hadn't told the story straight through. I mean, you look at a film like Love Actually... And I think Love, actually. Love, actually. And I think at the end, you know, when they had that bit with the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport at the beginning and then they tied up nicely at the end with everyone meeting each other, you know, and you see the strings of all these different relationships um, reaching their conclusion. You know, all of them happy, albeit, you know, with Alan Rickman and... Um, Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson, you know, it was a rocky road. I think that's a film that d- does really well, even though, to be honest, Love actually is all over the place structurally. I, I was going to say, talking
0: about films that have... I too- know.
1: I think it does tie stuff together well at the end. And that was the problem I had with this film, I guess.
0: Okay, and I don't think it's a great film. I don't hate it as much as you do. I don't, I don't think I was meaning to take it as seriously as you clearly did. <laughs> I'm um, offended by it. <laughs> yeah. I think you've just got to kind of go, got to go along with it. I think I liked the characters and bought into the characters more than you did. Mm. Um, I bought into... I definitely bought into Ryan Gosling. Um, yeah, I don't know. He wasn't, he didn't, as yeah. said, Tom Cat. Thomas <laughs> <laughs> said, Tom Cat. Yeah. Um, but no, I am not into that. And I, I think Steve Carell imbues it with some kind of genuine pain as well, mm. which you don't, you know, always see. I do think. Films. I think there's a better film in there. See,
1: I, I, I think that there, there may be. I, I think if you refine it, I think with it. Ryan Gosling's character, you know, at, at the point where he starts that relationship with Emma Stone, and it turns out that actually. You know, despite the fact that he's got the perfect body and the seemingly perfect life, he's probably the one with problems and the damaged one. And you know, the connection is really more something that he has to work for than than Emma Stone has to work for. I thought there was really interesting the d- potential there to kind of delve a little bit deeper into that, but because it's a family film, it has that restriction and it, it can't go too far into that psyche. Whereas you have Roger well, so, Dodger, so you just like to see that bit. I would have liked and to see like, a little get, bit get more development. This, yeah, get rid of the Steve Carell bit. Well yeah, I thought there was an interesting film in that bit certainly. I mean like Roger Dodger really, I mean, you know, it, it really delves deep into the psyche of Roger, you know, and of um, Jesse Eisenberg's character but even more so of Roger and I thought that was what made it really good. I feel like this film, it start, every time it starts going down a, an interesting avenue, it's kind of reeled back into this central, uh, you know, love plotline, and then they jump around to this thing with the babysitter, which is just complete. I don't even know why that's in there. You know, that's yeah, no, that is a strand. That was Doesn't just a strand that as well. no, it just uh, should be cut out completely, and you know, give some more time to the interesting relationship between Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. You know, which you is, got love Emma Stone.
0: Yeah, I do. I do love Emma Stone. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, in this as well. I don't think any of the performances are bad. No. You know, I love um, uh, Julianne Moore. You know, she's great. She's, you know, she's great in everything, mm. isn't she? Um, but yeah, I just kind of, I guess that's what annoyed me about it. I just, I felt like there was a better film in there, and certainly with that cast, you could have produced one. But it, it's, yeah, it, it is quite run of the mill, I'm afraid.
0: Okay. Well, I think, you know, we listeners, <laughs> let us know on Twitter who you agree with. Yes. Um, and maybe we'll read out some results. But yeah, tweet in.
1: Yeah, we look forward to hearing from you on that. It'd be really good to hear other people's opinions.
0: Yeah. And coming up after this, we've got Alien slash Aliens.
1: Our sequels genre.
0: Yeah, we'll come up with a better
1: title for that. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome back to Everyone's a Critic. So now we've reached our final part of the show. And we're doing a new new section, aren't we? Yeah, it's the sequel segment. Yeah, where we take um, a film and its sequel and compare them, you know, see if the sequel stacks up against the original or, you know, if it deteriorates. Yeah, most people say sequels are never as good or they can't be as good.
0: Um, but I think there are a fair few films where that's up for debate.
1: Definitely. And, I mean, it certainly, you know, it remains to be seen whether it's up for debate between us but certainly in the common consensus alien and aliens a lot of people think that aliens is better than alien so
0: yeah yeah some people think that they and they're at the end of the day very different films um, and you may be thinking okay well why did you choose these two films to do you may be aware that uh tuesday was alien day um, which sounds, sounds like what the hell? Yeah, um, I didn't know. I didn't know it was Alien Day. Yeah. Do you think they were just showing it at the picture house? I thought they were just showing it at the picture
1: house. So did of, I. Then I some gigs.
0: Uh, so then I saw something about they're showing it at the view as well. So they're doing. So um, it's it's Alien Day because you, you remember uh, last year they had uh, Back to the Future Day where it was the date where Marty and Doc travelled uh, into yeah, the yeah. future in yeah, 2015. Yeah. Well, they started to do oh, that went quite well and they had a bunch of products they they spun off as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did Alien Day. So it's named after um, LV four two six, which was the original planet they go to okay. uh, in the first film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know they've also had a bunch of, kind of spin-off products, including the uh, replica um, Reebok high-top trainers that Ripley wears in Aliens.
1: No way. Yeah. Are they selling well? I th- I presume so. <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean they're, they're pretty cool shoes. They yeah, yeah. A bit mad, but you yeah, know if you've got the money. Are you wearing them? You know, for the listeners'
1: purposes, I could be wearing them, I could not be wearing could be. them. That's <laughs> <of> beauty radio. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Use your imagination. Okay, so so um, so yeah, so you went down to watch them back-to-back back and you hadn't seen them before. I hadn't seen either of them before and I thought it was a huge gap in my film knowledge and I thought,
0: if I'm going to see them at any time, why don't I see them in the cinema? See them as they were, mm. intended to be, like I won't be able to do... Ever again, I don't think it's you know, once in a lifetime opportunity to see them both, certainly. Um, yeah. And they were director's cuts as well, is the other thing. Oh, wow, okay, um, so
1: we've actually probably seen different films then, yeah. I'd so love seen, to have seen, seen them, slightly on the different films.
0: So, you know, that maybe I I have a slightly kind of um, different take on them hmm. than, than other people, um, but you know, I, I was kind of a slight trepidation about going to see it. Like, oh, I don't want to kind of am I up for seeing two films back-to-back Two on horror own. movies on your own. Yeah. yeah they are horror films. Yeah. But, um, but actually, that's another thing that's up for debate, I think. Okay. Whether they're both horror films. Okay, well,
1: let's let's give a brief synopsis of both plots um, before we continue. So, yeah. Alien follows the crew of uh, a ship, uh, the Nostromo, and basically they're all in hypersleep. There's about six or seven of them. Uh, yeah, a commercial vessel. Yeah, a commercial vessel, and they're in hypersleep, which means that they're not aging, you know, it's a way to get from one side of space to the other, which would take 60 years or so without you, you know, dying on the way or needing any food. It's a science fiction, um, device that they, they, they have it in other films as well. So anyway, they get interrupted and they get sent to this planet where apparently there's this distress signal coming and, um, they go out and explore the planet and it soon appears that everything may not be quite right there. And, um, one of the crew members gets an alien attached to their face, yeah. and then so on and so forth. Anyway, we've got a clip to show you. This is quite far into the film, and it's just after one of their crew members has fallen foul to the alien that is now on board their ship and is picking them off one by one. Dallas? No. <laughs>
2: found this lane there. No blood. No Dallas. Nothing. How come I do hear anybody saying nothing around I'm this thinking place. unless somebody has got a better idea we'll proceed with Dallas's plan.
1: So That was, yeah, post-death of one of their crew members. Um, And so, Joe, do you want to give a brief synopsis of Aliens, quickly? Aliens, so, kind of picks
0: up where Alien leaves off, but because Ripley... Who is. Should we. Played by Sigourney Weaver? Played by Sigourney Weaver. Um, I think to give a synopsis of the second film, you have to kind of slightly spoil the first film. She's the sole survivor of the Nostromo. She escapes in a little pod, um, sends herself into hypersleep to get to Earth. Uh, Then she gets picked up as her her escape pod is roaming around. Um, It turns out it's 57 years later. Although when you watch them back to back, it's like, okay, this film picks up. Exactly, exactly where I left where off, because the Sigourney Weaver, she looks exactly the same. Exactly the same, even though the film's actually set seven years after. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, sort of, made seven years after. Um, so, you know, she, she's debriefed, and she tries to explain um, that, you know, this company tried to bring back the alien, um, this thing's incredibly dangerous, and learns to, no one, no one believes her, learns to her horror that the planet that they discovered the alien on um, has been turned into a human colony. Yeah. Um, then said human colony, a few people go missing. Um, they haven't had anything back from it. They ask Ripley to go and check it out with a bunch of space marines, you know, just as a consultant. Um, and Ripley agrees just uh, to go. Reluctantly. Re- l- reluctantly, but initially kind of Understandably completely opposed, really. Um Not to bring it back, not to do any experiments, but to wipe them out for good um so should we we play a little clip from it
1: yeah we've got a clip um where they're being approached um by an alien
0: by well approached
1: the title of the film by aliens by aliens yes yeah okay
2: nine meters remember short
1: controlled bursts eight meters Seven. Six.
0: can't be, that's inside the room. It's reading right, man, look. Well, you're not reading it right.
1: Five meters, man. Four. What the hell? Oh
2: my God. Oh shit, give me the light.
0: Two films actually, if you look at
1: the the plot as a whole, have kind of quite similar plots. Um you know, but I think the difference um between the first and the second one, and this is what I really love about the first one, and just to say I do I do really like the second one, yeah. but I think the first one is better. Um, and that's partly because when they land on the planet and they're sort of investigating things you as an audience member, as well as the crew, you have no idea what's out there. I mean, you have no idea. You don't really see the alien in its full form until around, uh, you know, at least an hour into the film. you know what I mean? So there's a constant sense of foreboding and just thinking, fuck, there's something bad going on here and something bad's about to happen. Yeah,
0: there's very creepy nature uh, in the first one. It's very surreal. the the main difference is completely of tone. Mm. Um, And you were saying they're both horror films... I'd say the first one is a horror film. It's kind of the definitive yeah, okay, sci-fi yeah, horror. Yeah. The second one I'd say is kind of like an action shoot 'em up. Really, yeah, actually,
1: I'd agree with that. Um, and that's shown by the taglines. The fir- the tagline for the first one in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, and for Aliens, it's this time it's war.
0: Yeah, and I think they they sum up the films quite well. Yeah, the first film is about. Of claustrophobia and isolation mm. and the fear of the unknown.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, The claustrophobia is really important. Re- and
0: really, really done fantastically well because they're, they're often just trapped crawling in this... around tunnels yeah, and where you can't even turn around. Yeah. I
1: mean, they can't really escape because they're in the ship and what's outside of the ship? It's fucking space. Exactly. I mean, it's so brilliant that they're, they're on this ship with one alien. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I think it's important the one and the mass. Do you know what I mean? Because. Yeah when they have a common enemy, um, it, it somehow seems more sinister in a way because it's like that one alien is deciding to pick yeah. them off one by one yeah. and going through a ritual.
0: And how it's the alien goes, and it's the kind of fear of the unknown. It goes from this face sucker to this thing that bursts out a guy's stomach. Yeah, and then they don't know what's gonna. It's gonna turn. That's into an amazing a... scene, that. Yeah,
1: an amazing. Everyone scene. must know that when it yeah. bursts out. Did you know that the crew, uh, the cast, didn't know that that was about to happen? I've heard that. That's yeah, yeah. like that's uh, true. Yeah. yeah, only John Hurt, who plays the guy whose stomach gets erupted by yeah. this alien, only he knew. And so the reactions on the cast. Brilliant like, by Ridley Scott. Oh, it's fantastic! And the reactions on the cast's face, and yeah. you have no idea what's about to happen. And yeah. you think he's choking on his, you know, porridge or something. Yeah. Oh, it was absolutely brilliant that scene. Um, and also that scene where that guy is. There's a guy in a tunnel, and they all they can see is the alien approaching him on radar. Yeah. So you see this dot getting closer and closer, and he's like, "Where is it? Where is it?" Because he can't see anything. And then suddenly. Bah! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I love that about it.
0: I love that. And, but slightly so an issue of that is is because these things are so within pop culture, I knew about the bit with the, the thing bursting out of this stomach. Yeah, I guess so. But now yeah. I know ultimately what they look like. So there's less of a fear of an unknown for me, but you are, you know, it is genuine is done fantastically well. It's also also about kind of corporate irresponsibility. I think that's um, more definitely more present in the second film. Do you think? I think yeah. it might be through the first film, and there's also the sense of um, something's not quite right uh, in the first one about the characters and who is someone. It'd be weird if someone's on the alien side, but is someone on the alien side?
1: Yeah, yeah. And just little, little glimpses. And you have got the android. Yeah. you've got well, an android, well, you've got an android well, in both films. But you don't know. But you don't know. And yeah. that's another great—that's th- that's a great one.
0: surprise. I wasn't expecting that. Mm. Um, you know him to be an android. I was expecting him to be kind of. I didn't know, but there was something slightly off about him. And the uh, Ash played brilliantly by Ian Home.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know it's a fantastic performance. I think he won an award for that, actually. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, when you find out that he's an android, you're like, oh, that makes complete yeah. sense. Do you know what I mean? And that's yeah. why she doesn't trust androids in the second film. But I yeah. think that is the thing about the second film. You see... You have an idea of of what you're about to face already, because Sigourney Weaver, coming from the first film, she's already seen the aliens, she knows what we're up against. And that's
0: why it has to be different, and that's why I admire it for being different. You Mm. know, Plenty of um, studios and directors will be like, "Okay, the first one was really successful, let's just do the same thing again. And that's why I think Aliens works, because they were like, you know, this film was fantastic sci-fi horror, you didn't know what was going to come next, it was really claustrophobic... Let's take the idea of these xenomorph kind of aliens and Sigourney Weaver, um, and but but let's do something different. Large like scale block. Well, yeah, let's do some large scale. You know what's going to come, but you know, let's have a bunch of space marines with guns yeah, yeah. Um, and shoot them up. And you can also definitely tell the first one's done by Ridley Scott and the second is by James Cameron. Well, I was going to say,
1: I mean, when you're directing a big blockbuster on a grand scale, yeah. where you know you need you need perfection but across a wide range who's better to bring in than james cameron i mean he does extremely well yeah he does and um the
0: kind of space marine characters and a lot of the feel of it uh those characters reminded me of avatar and so some far superior film to avatar Hmm. um but those characters and you know the um big kind of uh Walker metal suit that uh, oh, yeah. Ripley wears yeah. reminded me a lot of Avatar as well I think they've got those in it
1: yeah no she fights the alien with it at the end yeah yeah.
0: Um, so I, I liked both I think ultimately Alien is a better film probably mm. as a piece of filmmaking but if you've seen them both back to the back I really needed Aliens Alien is like yeah. a good film but it's, it's grim it's really Yeah, odd. no, it is grim. Whereas Aliens actually has a lot of laughs in it as well. Just those, those stupid characters where they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to kick some ass. Oh, yeah,
1: and you know they're about to get absolutely pooned yeah. by Aliens. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Alien is quite grim. And, and also what makes it so gritty um, is... No-one's talking about... I mean, for anyone here who's seen Prometheus and didn't like Prometheus, Mm. um, I think part of the problem with Prometheus, which is the prequel to Alien, for those who don't know, is they're always talking about, like, oh, you know, how did humanity get here, Mm. and, you know, what does this being mean on this planet? Mm. And it's all very highfalutin, whereas on Alien... You just get these guys who work on a commercial vessel who yeah. are grumbling about not being paid enough. Yeah. And you, get you know, they just characters. don't they just want to get paid more money and they don't yeah. give a fuck about you know, they want to survive basically. Yeah. And they only go to the distress school because they're contractually obliged to Because they have to. That none of them wanna be there. Do yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. instead of getting some instead of some sort of scientific journalists going out, you know, and suffering for their job. Yeah. You get these guys who really don't want to be there, put in a situation, life or death situation, that they don't feel they should be in the first place. Um, so it just that element of it works really well. So, I mean, Alien, for me, is, is, is the superior film, and it's, my, it's definitely the one I prefer watching. Yeah. But Aliens is a top watch as well. I think as
0: sequels go, I think it's one of the better ones because it does something different. And yeah. it works as a standalone film. I think if you saw Alien separately... Yeah, no, definitely. ...you and hadn't seen Alien, it would still work
1: fine. Definitely. Probably um, work even possibly better because you don't have that precursor of knowing yeah. what the Alien's going to look like. I mean, that's part of the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, the makeup's done really well as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um,
1: so, yeah, both really great films. And I'd say
0: the sequel isn't better, but it builds upon it and it does something different. Does it justice? Does it justice, completely. Um Good. So yeah, that's I think we're, we're in agreement there, Samuel. We've got our differences. We've finally uh, agreed.
1: To, it's only taken us an hour and whatever. Um, okay, good stuff. Well, look, thanks very much for listening, guys. And as we said, we're live on Twitter now. Yeah. Um, so at I hopefully hear from you at what? Ev Critic Podcasters. Ev Critic Ev Critic Podcaster. Ev yeah. Critic Podcast. Touching, uh, catching. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks for listening, and stay tuned for next Fortnite's episode. Yeah.